Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Welcome to the Zenpreneur podcast. Today, I have an exciting, wonderful guest here. His name is Dr. Ardeshir Meran. He's a visionary psychologist with, who made a profound impact in the field of mental health. He bridges entrepreneurial and business success and inner fulfillment. So my kind of guy. He's armed with advanced degrees from Columbia University, and he's a pioneer bringing forward the theory, you're not depressed, you're unfinished, which is also the title of his book. I'm really excited to dive into that. Dr. Ardeshir, my friend, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much, Mario Lanzarotti. I'm so honored <laughs> to be here. I've been, I've been thinking about it all day yesterday. What a great show. Great message purpose and hearing your life story is also very inspiring for me. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's an absolute honor. And I want to, I want to dive in and I want to, I'm, I'm very curious before we dive into what you stand for in the world. I want to know a little bit more about you, about the human being behind the glasses, mm -hmm. behind the face. How did you get to be the man that is now on this mission to helping entrepreneurs and business leaders connect mm -hmm. that inner fulfillment with that outer success? Great, thank you. Great question. Uh, as a kid growing up, I was a kid who always asked the question that they were not supposed to ask. You know, I was very, I was a curious George. You know, there, there's a children's story in the US that uh, I was always curious why people behave certain things. Why is mom has certain look on her face? Why dad, there's a sadness, there's a sense of a melancholy to his face. And I was very curious and disturbed that people have a life, daily life, they go do what they do, but they seem yeah. to have private conversations. And from early age, people would pull me aside, says artist here, and they would confine with me. Things they would tell me, and didn't understand why grown-ups are so messed up. Why do you always complain? And I was curious about that. When I went to graduate school, I got a doctorate from Columbia, triple majors. I have four masters, multiple degrees. I was trying to answer two questions. Why are people so depressed? Hmm. And why is depression so hard to heal? That was my own story. When you're a high achiever, and I will talk about it, you don't see depression in high achievers. They have a great smile, they drive great cars, they have wonderful spouses, house on the hills, and they think that they're doing great. Yes, there's a private side to them. That was my story. I was successful partnering in a consulting firm. Money was great, keep getting promoted. I was a role model and the uh, life of the party. People want to be around me. Deep down, I was dying. I was praying for suicide. Wow. Those pain that psychologists couldn't heal it. The medication didn't address it. And I felt that there's a story to high achievers that Society and psychology misses is not about treatment. There's something else going on. And this was my lifelong quest. So when I leave this earth, if they allow me, I want this to be on my grave. Ardashir Mehran, he helped discover the cure for depression and ease the pain of millions. That's all. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful story. And, and one I can definitely relate to. And in my own... In my own journey, um, over a decade ago, I I was never diagnosed 
um, but the symptoms that I experienced, and I'd love to, for you to speak into that in a moment, highlighted that I was going through a major depression while I was in an extreme high performance environment. I was on my way to becoming a pilot. And similar to you, I had these thoughts of suicide for about two weeks. They just kept coming and coming and coming. And I just didn't know what to do about it. And I'm curious, like, what does it look like in a high performer from your perspective when they are experiencing depression? Great. Thank you. So, the, so I wanted to step back to answer your question, but also depression for, means different things to people. Right. In reality, there are three categories of depression. One is that um, transitional depression. Things happen in life, tragedy, job loss, financial loss, your car get rear-ended, home yeah. burg burglary. So there are events happen that you go through a life transition. And basically depression, sense of, oh my gosh, there's a sense of loss, sense of grieving, sense of something you had was taken away. You lost it. You grieve for that. By and large, we come out of it. The other side, if you think about the normal curve, the other side is clinical depression. Clinical depression is when there's a prolonged sense of grieving, sense of longing, sense of you losing something, and sense of mourning. Basically, we go through body shutdown. We know from research, neurological research, that people who are depressed, they have very poor cardiovascular, gastrointestinal functioning in their body. And the hormonal aspects of their body get also um, compromised. So what happens? The body's cold all the time. The, the uh -huh. fingers are cold and the body feels sense of numbness. And when that happens, you have a hard time concentrating. You have a hard time energy. This is a time that people start to drink a lot. Substance abuse, have infidelity or do crazy things to as way to perk themselves up. Basically, body is going to shut down. It's basically you're mm -hmm. mimicking death. That's the time it's helpful to see a psychiatrist medication as a way to stabilize the person. That's the clinical. It typically happens before pandemic 20 to 25%. There's a bigger curve in the middle that everybody misses. That's elevated level of depression. Depression is about a sense of grieving loss and mourning that you lost something there's part of you is not there the way people talk in high achievers when you're sitting like after work deadlines are you know put aside people talk in a language that someday i will do this when i retire i will do that when i get my ferrari i will do that there's a sense of mm. waiting there's a sense of you know, things are not that bad, but I'm okay. I could be mm. better. When they breathe, there's a sense of, ah, mm -hmm. there's a sense of searching for something. There's a sense of longing for something. And they don't right. quite know what it is, is the corner of this. So my clients, they call me and says, Ardashir, I want to become a senior vice president. I want to become a general manager going global. And I ask them, what is it you're seeking? I don't know. I got to have it. Then they have it is the next thing. They're searching for something. Searching for something is personal and is deep and is unsettling. There's a sense of unsettling. Once you have that, that's a sign of depression. Mm. Many people, including psychology, they're trying to heal it. They're trying to medicate it, trying to help you cope with it. What I bring is actually your, that feeling is fuel, is data tells you there's a greatness inside you that you know it and you're not paying attention to that. Right. Depression, my work is all about that is your own souls, S-O-S to you say, wake up. It's your depression, is the soul waking up. You cannot medicate it, you cannot ignore it. It will torment you. But once you hear it, it actually, it means that there's a greatness inside you that you're basically playing second fiddle, that you need to be at the center stage and be awesome. 
depression is a calling to wake up. Hmm. I love that. And that I can very much attest to what you're saying. I first went through this, this mental health struggle that I had with this great sense of shame, with this great sense mm -hmm. of guilt, because I was playing the story through my mind as telling myself, I shouldn't feel this way. Like I'm young. Yeah. I was 20, I was 21 at the time. I was like, I'm young. I have a, a girlfriend. I'm, I should be thankful for this career that I have, right? I have all these great things on paper that I should celebrate, but yet I just don't feel that. I just don't connect with that. And so I was beating myself up for the way that I was feeling. And here you are presenting a whole new perspective on, on mental health and in regards to depression, you're saying it's actually not something that's bad, but it's actually an opportunity. Yeah. You're saying, actually life is saying, wake up, you know, it's your soul yeah. calling and saying, Hey, you need to make a change. And this is the, your invitation yeah. for the change. Mm. Did, did you have a personal experience where you went through that and you heard that calling? And I would, I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. That it's a, um, I talk about it in the first two chapters of my book, this, the year of 2012, um, that that new year, my prayer before I fall asleep after my wife and I came from a wonderful party, my prayer to God was, I cannot go on anymore. I'm just, I cannot see myself going through life. I'm just dead inside, like a yeah. slab of concrete. And, um, I would go to work, I was an executive, and basically I was dead, you know, I was flat, but I could fake it. I had a smile in my face, you know, I exercised, you know, I was doing crazy stuff. So really both body, everybody said, he's doing great. I wasn't. Third August, uh, the third Sunday of August of 2012, uh, on Sunday, I, on Sundays, typically I get up at 6.30 and I journal. I always done that across forever. That morning, as I was journaling, I was trying to think, uh, how do I heal my depression? I'm so tired. I can't go on anymore. How do I find energy for today? Around 6.30 or so in the morning, two questions popped into my head. Instead of asking, how do I heal depression? The question was, what is depression? In psychology, we assume we know depression. Ask what is depression and why is it so hard to treat depression? Mm. When I asked those two questions, suddenly there was this shift in my brain and all the knowledge that I've gained across the years that almost literally I'm a visual thinker, you know, so I have pictures, graphs, flowcharts, things that start to shape differently. And I, I remember from my very first few patients where I was doing clinical training in Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital in New York City, clients, my parents. And I realized that people who were telling me about their depression, separate from their symptoms, there was some sort of stories. They were looking for something. They were searching for something. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I was less of this. Those start, stories start to create some patterns in my head. As I listened, and this lasted several weeks after that, that people were basically searching for something. We don't get depressed. We get depressed about something. We are searching for something. That search allowed me to go to a secondary exploration about what is it people were seeking? searching and I start a whole comprehensive from biblical text, you know, that throughout the mankind what people are searching. That was a revelation that we when we are depressed, basically there's a structure to our depression. We just don't feel bad. We feel bad about certain things. Yeah. If you figure that out, you can almost reverse engineer, go back to what was lost and finish what was not for you, not happening. So when people say I'm depressed, I tell them point blank, dear friend, what that really means, some basic human experiences for you 
did not happen. Yeah. Did not happen fully or they were violated or you just got a glimpse of that. But once you know what it is, you will go back and restore what was always yours mm. and for whatever reason, you didn't get them. Mm. The journey of depression is claiming you, claiming your emotions, what I call emotional rights. So that morning put me on the trajectory of this work today to tell the world that there are things belong to you. These rights, emotional rights, parents didn't give it to you, society, teachers, they are yours, they're bi biological. Go claim them. No apologies needed. They're yours. They've always been yours. Mm. Tell me, so when you were going through that phase, right? You were saying that you were a leader, a business leader on a, mm -hmm. on a paper. I'm assuming your mm -hmm. career was looking great. You had probably opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I often hear from entrepreneurs is they are somewhat aware that something isn't quite right, that they keep running into certain walls, and yet they are not making time for it. So I don't have the time, not right now, I'm too busy. And so what I have explored is that their reasoning is based upon if I make time for my healing, it will sort of reduce my outcomes in life. I will do worse in life. And sort of like, it's either you have your well-being or you have your success. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. as you went through this transition out of that depression and you followed your soul's calling, yeah. what changed for you in, in, in the business set in sense? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The question you um, you raise for executives um, that they, there is a restlessness. They know they need to do something. They say, yeah. "I will get to it later." There's right. a re let me let me d dissect that, and I get to what to, to answer your question about what changed for me. The reason executives do that, executives, high achievers, entrepreneurs, I see them as thoroughbred horses. They are meant to run. They are, I, I'm a, um, I run horses, you know, the Brit, British riding. Thoroughbred horses are most magnificent. They are, all the other horses also, they're scared of them. They're because they're so powerful. They're so energetic. But those executives are like thoroughbred horses charging ahead on three legs. They don't know that actually they are not fully optimal that they're only going to certain limits and they basically more or less are stuck. And the reason they do that, there's a fallacy, at least in Western world, about resiliency. We love resilient people. Resiliency means bouncing back, always hitting the wall, coming back and running forward. Right. And basically denying yourself. There's a mm. notion that I need to go forward because if I stop, I will stay behind. Right. What they don't realize that actually you're not going far enough. There's a lot more mojo in you. You yeah. don't realize that. Why don't they do that? Because psychologists like me, we made learning about growth actually too complicated. We tell executives, go take medication, meditation classes, yoga, go on retreat. So you can find your true self. True self is very squishy subject. What does it mean? Make time for your family. Make time for your healing. Self-reflect. So those things are not action-oriented. And people say, I don't have time for that. I will get to it. Right. So part of that is the psychology. And I'm, I'm a psychologist. We made fulfillment kind of hard to understand, to make it mm. practical. What changed for me once I realized that? I realized I wasn't a corporate guy. I was in a wrong role. Literally, I was, I was in a business transformation, culture transformation, organizational redesign. Great role, very successful. It was not my role. I was a healer. I was a corporate organizational healer. I'm a behavioral. I tell people I'm an organizational plumber. When there's a mess, I fix it for you. 
And for me, it was about the whole aspects of healing. Let's fix it. It's not that complicated. Yeah. It's complex, not complicated. So I changed role yeah. that there's a problem about how we heal. Let's dissect that, simplify it so it becomes everybody's knowledge. It's not that difficult. So gradually I pivoted, left my corporate world, to start this business about people should know this essence of personal greatness and use it for yourself, for your family, for your school, for your workplaces, for your community. Mm. That makes a lot of sense because you're you're addressing people that are hyper solution orientated that are by their nature looking for problems that they can fix and when things are not practical i can just reflect on myself whenever anything isn't practical i immediately dismiss it i'm like i'm not interested because I'm not interested in cultivating thoughts about something that doesn't have a practical application. Even spirituality for me is the whole idea and how I got to God in a, in not a, not necessarily in a religious way for me was like, what's the benefit? What's the, why should I believe in a higher power? And then I, I broke it down. I was like, well, a higher power, the idea of a higher power is this idea of, the ultimate safety blanket. It's like, no matter yeah. what I do in life, nothing can go wrong because God, God's got me always. Even if I fall into the very gutter, God is there to pick me up. So I was like, yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me because now I have something that can hold me wherever I am in life. And it gave me so much confidence. It gave me so much power. It gave me so much drive, but at, from a healthy place, not from this like, hustle and grind. And so I, I love what you're, uh, the, the, the context that you're bringing forward. I want to come back to the question, what have you seen shift for yourself as you removed yourself from the role that you didn't fit in, as you started to unleash your soul's desire? What did you find changed as you went through these steps? Great question. And I love the way you mentioned that once you believe in the, in God and the the sense of goodness of being, once you do that, realize life is a series of body blows. We, everybody <laughs> experienced that, but, but at the core, it's good. You're okay. Yeah. Everybody has challenges, challenges that you can figure it out, work with others and, uh, and come through that. What changed for me, which was rather startling, and the reason I know this, because since when I was, Later years in my high school, then I kept journals, like journals like this. I don't know how many hundreds of them because that was my private reflection. Mm. From 2012, by the fall of 2012, my journal entries changed, literally changed. So I have data. What changed? I woke up, my depression wasn't there anymore. Mm. And I had years and years of suffering oh my gosh i'm hurting i'm struggling i feel mm -hmm. dormant and it, it, god somebody saved me all the prophets my childhood nanny the, the dear teacher i was begging for anybody everybody i'm hurting i don't know why suddenly the matter of few months things changed the language changed i tell people once you do this work what you will see you will wake up one day you are not depressed. You are pissed. You do not want to waste time anymore. So what changed for me, I became action-oriented, solution-oriented. This is not going well. What do I do about it? Power shifted to me instead of praying to God. Nature of my prayer, instead of asking God, show me the way, my prayer to God was, keep me steady. I need to do this. I believe in this. Guide me that I'm on the right path versus show me anything. Save me. Feel that I have the power. I need help still. I need guidance, but it's me. Do the work artist here versus waiting somebody to save me. So it was such a shift that wow. was scary. So these days I'm an entrepreneur and I tell my wife and I that when you're an entrepreneur, everything is your fault. 
<laughs> your business goes well, doesn't go well. It's my job. I then so I don't I don't let depression hold me back. Whereas I have work to do. There are things I need to figure out. Other people have get on the horse, figure it out. So I'm really in things that get things done, get work done. I'm in that space right now. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I really appreciate what you said about how your the way that you communicated with God went from please help me, please save me to <laughs> show me the way i'm ready i believe in this right and and the way that i look yeah. at that is there's two types of consciousness there's the victim consciousness yeah. and there's the creator consciousness yeah. and the victim consciousness yeah. is like please 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 somebody help me somebody save me and no. you remove that and you went into yes it's difficult yes it's challenging yes it's going to be painful but i don't care i'm ready Come on, give, show me the way, give it to me, right? You're calling it in. And I think that if you apply that perspective, that approach, that state of being to the world of business, that's literally how you become unstoppable because nobody, like you said, nobody gets in your way anymore. You're not waiting for something outside of you to be just right or perfect. You're deciding yeah, yeah. and you take yeah. charge. And I think that is a quality that, Business leaders, no matter where they are, no matter what point they are in their career, can really use. That's right. That's right. The, the, this is so interesting. You mentioned you become unstoppable. So I don't want folks listening to this call get the wrong impression. My body is regenerating itself. So I go to the my haircutting and the, my the old-fashioned haircut and says that artistry your hair turning black again so um hmm. so my body i'm healthier i run crazy marathons i do swim in san francisco bay because i have such a sense of energy of life and zest you know and i and i to the point like people say artistry are you thinking about retirement i'm saying that i don't know what that word means anymore i will retire when i take my last breath i just love what i do I'm do, doing it till I, till I'm taken out of circulation. So just, just like I found me and I realized I'm supposed to do things on this earth while I'm still breathing and nothing yeah. will stop me except the chairman of the board. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you, you summed that up perfectly. The sense of, the sense of being unstoppable is not to be confused that you're not going to have a low moment. You're not going to, it's not that you're never going to fall down. You know, you never know. never going to not doubt yourself. Like these parts are, I find part of the human experience. They're always there. Yes. It's what's your relationship to it. Like you may encounter moments of depression, but maybe that depression used to swallow you whole for two months. Yes. Now it might be two days. And you have a process okay. in place where you know, like just for me, for instance, I remember like last week I came, I flew a 20 hour flight. I uh, flew from New York to Cape Town over Paris. And as I was flying, my one of my closest uh, mentors and brothers passed away. And that hit me quite hard. And I could feel mm -hmm. how my body was reacting to that. My body was starting to shut down. I could start like I was becoming very nasal. My ears would like um, uh, the, the pressure would go up. And if it was if it was me six years ago in New York City, I would have popped a few pills and said, whatever, don't have time for that. Just push through. And then what would have happened is at some point later on, I would have had a crash probably over the holidays at some point where I would lie down in bed for a week with fever, you know, shivers, the whole thing. But at least I could then tell myself, ah, this is anyways unproductive time that I'm not using. And so now what I did, I was like, I listened to my body and I slowed down. I said, yeah. okay, instead of hitting the gym, I'm going to do some gentle yoga. Instead of working 10 hours, I'm going to work two hours or three hours. Instead of going to see people, I'm going to sleep longer, right? So I'm adjusting. And because of that, now guess what? I'm, I'm much, much better, right? My, you can still hear my voice a little bit, but I'm physically on a way better and mentally much clearer. And I'm, I'm wondering, what does your process look like when you notice some of those things come back up? How do you respond to that now? 
That's beautiful, then. Mario. So people have asked me, Artishir, what the heck you mean that depression goes away? You mean you don't get depressed anymore? I said, actually, I do get depressed. What is when I sit down and listen to it, it basically comes to two things. One is that I'm playing a small, that there's something I, I'm doing and I know I can go further. I have it in me. I'm being hesitant. And I've been trying to be safe. And deep down, somebody says, dude, that's not you. And so that almost there's a Michael Jordan or Serena Williams inside me said, you can go bigger, better. You're becoming too cautious, number one. Number two, I literally don't know what how to do certain things. Then ask for help. Hire somebody. You know, team up with other people so you don't stay back. So when depression comes, basically, I'm here. Life is here. I can be there. Go figure it out. Play mm -hmm. bigger. And in those parts, I love what you mentioned. I, I sleep better. I take, I have rest. I exercise because when you, so I run marathon. When you run a marathon, you plan for it differently you train for it differently and there are aches and pains and blisters along the way you learn how to work with it so you don't stop by the mile 16 or by mile 18 mm -hmm. and so you go the distance to finish the race so when depression comes it means that basically i'm not playing to my to my talent to my calling and just figure it out be there be present go through the body blow, but finish the work and then go to the next stage, to the next stage. Mm. That is so amazing. I, I love that. I've never heard that before, that when depression, when you're experiencing depression is actually your, and I'm paraphrasing your soul telling you, hey, you're playing too small. You're meant for bigger things. You're meant for a bigger relationship, a bigger opportunity, a bigger mission. And now that I reflect on that, it makes now, like I used to, I just shared this with somebody uh, the other day. I said, the reason, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I see it as my life insurance. Like the last mm -hmm. time I had two major mental health uh, challenges in my life. The first one was when I was becoming a pilot, I became severely depressed. I was in chronic back pain and um, I, I contemplated suicide. And then a year later after that, uh, it was emotional abuse um, from a person that I lived with at the time that led to drug abuse. And that was another downfall. After those two times, I never, ever experienced any major mental health challenge that lasted for more than a few days. And I was yeah. like, what did I change? And I was like, the yeah. thing that I changed now that you say it is I, I went all in with my purpose. And, yeah. you know, I, sometimes I have days where I have five coaching sessions in a day and it's a group, it's a one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. and I'm high mm -hmm. energy and I'm showing up. And at the end of the day, I'm still buzzing with energy. I'm not sitting there crashing on the couch. Oh my God, I can't, I need to sleep like 10 hours tomorrow. No. And it's like, I'm high energy. And this makes so much sense. And do you, have you done any sort of research into the biology? Like what are the effects on when you're, when you're living on purpose, when you're activated, when you're live, uh, answering the call to destiny, have you done any sort of research into what happens with your body on a biological level? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's a, such a great question because what I'm always asked is about the efficacy of the medication for depression, you know, anxiety, the same thing with magic mushroom, you know, psych psychedelics. So when we, yeah. the, 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 let me answer you, like when you go to performing art, you go, um, you're acting out the role, you know, like um, it's a vibrant role, it's an exciting role, uh, or you play a role of somebody who's unhappy, is angry, resentful. What happens, all those actor, actresses, what they say when they play the role, after that, that residue of that role stays with them. If you play the role of a boisterous king or just a, like happy, they go home, they're different. 
So when we assume a role, we go into role, our body chemistry changes. Instead of dopamine, you know, like in happy hormone, we may produce cortisol or adrenaline as a way for us to be certain way. Over time, yeah. if you stay in one or the other, our brain cellular structure of the brain also changes as a way to adapt. This is neuroplasticity. So what happens when you live on purpose and purpose basically means, you know what you're doing doesn't mean everything is beautiful, is joyful. You figured it out. Basically you're, you're doing something, you're staying focused, but there's a momentum. There's a motion forward. You're purposeful. You're focused. You're connected. Your body mobilizes for you to be that way. Your gut, mm. your hormonal system focuses you to be that way. And when you do that, yeah. your brain changes to for you to be that way. So the whole entire being, you know, even your heartbeat, you know, heart rate, everything focuses on that. So part of the journey of healing is, is the journey of doing. So when we heal, healing is actually doing. There's a lot of personal reflection. Journaling, it's good, it's not efficient. Why is that? This is going to the science. Somehow we, there's a misperception in the science about the essence of the brain. We think that it, because we think something, that means the same thing as feeling. Feeling is not in the brain. Feeling is in the body. Brain doesn't feel anything. Right. Brain remembers, processes, organizes, synthesizes. Emotions are in the body. And yeah. body only knows one thing. Body doesn't know words. Body only res resonates with action. Doing something. Say something, do something, you scream, please don't go, stay with me. I love you. I hate you. Mm -hmm. Body needs action. When you do that, brain and body connect. Brain looks at the body and the movement and brain trying to take picture of that. So the journey of healing, the journey of purpose is actually there's a verb, is the verb in that, is the doing something. So when you do that, body generates different level of hormones to sustain you, to motivate you going forward. So the work that mm. I do with clients, behind me, you see there's, it's a longer room. When people come here, instead of sitting one-on-one -on -one talking, we actually standing up. Share with me how you're feeling. Show me in the body when you're angry, if you're hurtful, you know, like show me because you, so your body knows it, feels it, and then you do something differently because that's how we become whole and that's how brain remembers the journey of healing because you're acting on it versus just thinking on it. And that's the reason traditionally yeah. therapy would last months and years because we would just reanalyze the same thing. When you act on it, therapy can be very quick, matter of 5, 10, 15 sessions and you're good to go. That's so true, and and I've 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 always come back to the to the saying that says the mind thinks, the body knows. All right, the body always <laughs> tells the truth, and you know one of the cues when I when I talk to people and when I uh, work with people, I look at their physical cues when I ask them how are things going, how do you you know how. Um, um, how, how did this, how did the meeting go with the, with the investor? How did the meeting go? How, how did the sales call go? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I'm all right. All right. And I see them look away. I know yeah. that there is an emotion that they're not willing to feel. There's something That's that right. they're like, no, I, I don't want that. So then I go, what is that? And then they're like, what do you mean? And I say, well, you just looked away. Why did you look away? Was there somebody standing next to you? It's like, no. I said, well, why did you look? Oh, I don't know. Well, let's explore that. And then all of a sudden, they get to, to realize that, oh, I actually feel ashamed about the words that just came out of my mouth. And then yeah, that shows yeah. the relationship they have with that. And so I, I think you're, what you're bringing forward here is, is profound. And it's really, 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 really powerful. I want to also get to know more about um, the Bill of Emotional Rights. 
because that was really, really piqued my interest. I, I looked at it on your website. I know you write about it in your book. Tell us what is it and how can we apply it? Wonderful. Thank you. So Bill of Emotional Rights, you know, the, so let me ask you, or your listeners, that tell me about emotional struggles. You know, what do you know the sources of that? So people will give a long list. Anxiety, burnout, sadness, fatigue, right. depression, obsessive compulsive. The list is long and significant amount of research over decades, centuries. If I ask a different question, tell me about what does it mean to, to be emotionally healthy? Suddenly, mm. people give me the blanks there. Uh, you know, <laughs> Being community, being loved, being healthy, eat your vitamins. Uh, and people may talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs or Viktor Frankl's uh, about man's search for meaning. There's a scientific gap we have. That August of 2012, what I stumbled upon was that there are emotional needs. These are cradle to grave. We all have them. And when you look at literature across different fields of science, poetry, music, and in fact, in my book, I have for every chapter, I have a Spotify playlist of music that people talking about certain emotional rights, and nobody taught us about that, but it's all around us. So these needs, we are born with them, and we are meant to experience them, and that's the essence of our healing. Depression is based upon when those needs are not honored, understood, and lived by. Really, these are yours. And then there's a seven of them, and there's a story behind them, how they start through life. The very first one is the need of I belong. This is about connection. That mm -hmm. there's a love, and start from that mother or um, guardian from the first time, time of birth. I'm welcoming this world. Somebody holds me you know, suits my skin, sees me, reflects me in his or her eyes. Yeah. And I feel I'm welcome, their sense of connection, sense of I belong. That's the most fundamental need. And if it's not fulfilled, people feel isolated. People feel different, disconnected. And there, there, yeah. those who are familiar with the attachment, types of attachment, this is a need that for many people, is afraid in life. People looking for someone to be loved and can create yeah. all sorts of dynamics in terms of um, relational. The next need, I'm boundless. By the time the Industrial Revolution happened and we came from fields and farms and land to cities and factories, we became basically talking heads. The whole term of mental health is actually scientifically incorrect. There's nothing mental, it's the whole being. So we basically became disconnected from our bodies. And yes. we, the dear friend of mine says that you're born to move, told to sit. We know from hmm. research, wow. research that, yeah, that when we do, uh, you go to, you're doing a brainstorming session, product development session. It's much more effective as people put a paper on the wall, people walk around the room, give them a pen to write, to move around, to talk to each other versus sit around the conference table. You get more data, better data, and more, um, more creative breakthrough ideas. This is about being in nature, using our entire body in expression. That's the reason mm. a lot of ADHD, so-called ADHD kids in the school, they have energy. We told them to sit and put your hand down and just verbalize. This is allowing movement, allowing expressions. The next need is sense of I'm complete. There's a fallacy. Many people, including me, we fight yesterday's war. My mom did this. My parents did that. Children of trauma, children of sorrow in the past. What we are learning from the research, coming from trauma centers, from clinical work, there's no such thing as past. Our brain remembers things, but the experience of human being is always happened in the here and now. 
So the way that I do therapy right now compared to 10 years ago, instead of 10 years ago, I said, what brought you here, Mario? Tell me about your background, your childhood, your parents, the sorrow you bring. What we know is irrelevant. You are here at this moment and all your life is present in this moment. And the same way you mentioned, somebody said, how was the meeting? And you said, the meeting was great, but you looked the other way. Bring with this moment what is coming up for you. What are you noticing in your voice, the energy, the movement, the screams, the hurt, the sorrow, the tears. Then you can go back and find out what happened, but the healing reporting happens in here and now. So going to the literature or the work of leadership development, all this past looking 360 degree feedback, performance review six months ago, what you did, scientifically, they're irrelevant. Life happens in this moment. Healing happens in this moment. Recreation happens in this very moment. And once you do that, you can claim in a small doses your life as it is. The next one is the need, I matter. This is about whether you live uptown, you live downtown, you're a, you live in this country or that country. There's a dignity, honor, and a sense of being around the table bestowed upon you. Everybody has it. Having come from corporate environment, there are so many people are invisible. You go to a conference soon, nobody turns around and says, hey, Barbara, hey, Brian, welcome them. There are people unseen. We know from research in the U.S., all those mass killing, typically they are men, young men. What costs across all of them? They They felt invisible. In their act of violence, they were saying, take notice of me. Dignity is about honoring who we are by seeing them, creating a space for them, allowing them to be around the table, expressing their ideas. Next one is I make. The work you do. Mario, both you and I went through a transition of the work that really is yours. We know from Gallup research, year after year, up to 75% of people are in the work that they are basically putting the hours. They have mortgage to pay, bill to pay, support a family, but they're dreaming about something different. Right. That's where depression comes in for them. And we know this from research, and I've done that myself. In those environments, when you have low engagement, you have higher rate of disability, physical, health disability, and depression, and anxiety, and violence. People basically are holding on to. So the opportunity is that find what you were meant to do. It may not be nirvana, but are you doing what you're designed to do? Be your work. The next need is the need I am. I am Mm. is about your soul's voice. About what you say, is this what you believe in and is your unique identity? The way I came across this was interesting. That started about 10, 12 years ago. I would work with senior executive men and women. And I realized with women, when they meet with me, there was a quality to their voice. It almost like was rasping as it was coming in. I would say, that, tell me about your voice. I'm noticing something. I would talk yeah. about tightness around their throat, about their mouth, sometimes tightness around the back shoulder. So it was the voice coming out and they were trying to make it fit in, to be pleasant. At that time, it was monotone. And they would invite them, what would it look like if you were trying to express yourself? Then the voice at time become like a voice of a young girl trying to be sweet, to be pleasant. So it's about finding your true voice that you need to say. For men... A lot of times they overshoot, they become strong, you know, and I need to say something versus what is your voice of self-confidence. And you see that, you see that a lot of, you know, like the YouTube that the man goes in and really like a bullhorn that what is the voice of your belief, your heart? So the work that I do with folks that there's a voice inside you that is unashamed, is not hesitant, you believe in it. Let it come out because that's your soul voice somewhere along the line of your life. 
it was criticized. You held back to fit in. That will set you free. Doesn't mean your idea is a good idea. Could be a lot of times the worst idea. That doesn't matter. You can figure out the idea, but your voice, find it. Because that belongs to the world. The last one is the need I soar. Behind me on the flip chart, Mario, is the statement by Maya Angelou. From her book, I Know Why the Cage Birds Sing. The saying is that there's no greater agony than burying an untold story inside you. Eight billion people, eight billion story. And so people who do the work with me, they get mortified that I know I have a story. I don't even know where to start. I'm not just a number. You have a story. Everybody does. Once you find it, you become unstoppable. And that story shifts, grows over time versus a story. A story of you by the time you get your last breath. That's your gift. That's why you're here. You've been on the journey, Maria, to find it. And once you do that, Everything falls into place around your story. That is about why you're here on this earth. That I know what's going to be in my tombstone and nothing will get in my way. I have a lot of struggles, but nothing will get in my way. And so the way this works at any time in your life, those needs play different dynamics. Right now, mm-hmm. dear listeners, usually there are three things at play. There's one story, one need that excites you, mystifies you, calls you. Oh my gosh, that's my true north. There's one need that is sorrow, is is messy. It just feels dormant. It says, I don't know. It brings hurt. And there's one need that gives you stability, is your backbone, foundation. For me, I soar. I'm a journey to alleviate depression for people in this world, as long as I'm alive. That calls me. The one that gives me torment is I make. I'm building a new way of therapy, new way of coaching, new way of healing, is new business development. So I've a lot of figuring out, you know, how do I do this? How do I scale? How do I bring my message? You know, but I'm thinking other people have figured it out. Get real, figure it out, artistry. The one gives me stability, I belong. My family, my wife, my son, my golden retriever, brothers, sisters. That's my tribe that gives me stability so I'm not isolated. So at each time, focus about what calls you, what brings you sorrow and heaviness, and what stabilizes you and work with those energy and always follow the energy. There's a wisdom to energy. Mm. They will guide you forward. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. And, you know, we are approaching the end of the conversation. We have a few more minutes left and I want to, I'm curious out of all of the needs that you have just displayed, which one do you see nowadays the most often that is missing in entrepreneurs? Beautiful. Then. There are two things. One is a sense of need of I belong. I, yeah. What I've seen entrepreneurs, there's this great deal of isolation and loneliness. Yeah. That they, they're, they're, and the way you know it, that they have a hard time to be alone. And when they're alone, they're busy. They do something. Yeah. Their sense of connection, that the whether they were raised or a sense of, I need to get more work done, very task-focused. There's a sense of the, that connection and I belong that is not the fully nurtured. The other one is the sense of, yeah. I am. I am is about soul identity. A lot of entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. they confuse the sense of your conviction of your belief versus my product, my project, my startup, that mm. there's a voice of your soul, of your belief that is you. It's not your product. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? 
So what happens, they ask them, tell me about you. They talk about their project plan, their investment, about their timeline. Tell me about you. That is a question that they hate. They talk yeah. about their business. But tell me, like if I ask Mario, tell me about you, who you are. Entrepreneurs hate that question because mm -hmm. they see themselves as the product of their business versus tell me you as a person. So I belong yeah. in a sense of personal identity, you as a man or woman. Yeah. And that's exactly what I see as well. This is, I see yeah. so many entrepreneurs that are really lone, operate as lone wolves, uh, more yeah. so men. Yet what I'm also seeing more and more is women that are leaning yeah. into the masculine drive that also go into the right. isolation. And yeah. it. I remember the moment many years ago, uh, a coach, when I was going through an NLP master training program uh, here in Cape Town, and the coach asked me in a one-on-one, -on -one, she's like, who is Mario outside of his business? And nice. Nice. I stopped and I thought about it and I had tears running down my face. And I was like, I can't answer the question. I was like, I haven't even nice. thought about that because I'm so much in eyesore in my mission, my impact. And, and then I was like, well, who's Mario outside of that? And so I had built this persona of Super Mario, <laughs> no pun intended, yeah. uh, right? This, this <laughs> Mr. Unstoppable. And so I had to retrain myself, recondition myself. And I'm still in that process of presenting myself as me as as yeah. mario as mario who is about love who is about humor who is about joy and fun and and uh you know playing in nature and and and, and you know just like joking around and connecting with people on a heart level and then leaving the business aside. And that's a challenge for me right because i'm so that's much definitely. about that i saw and i yeah, I, I really, I really love what you brought forward today. It was was very enlightening, I think, for a lot of people. And you know, for somebody who would like to know more on how they can work with you and what you can help them with specifically, can you speak into that a little bit? Yes, please. So, um, if you go on the, your search artashirmeron.com, you will get uh, to read about me, my website, and. Uh, and I have a YouTube channel that you can get to hear each one of those uh, emotional rights with detailed examples and the science behind it. So you can learn, just do search with that. Then my book is available. And um, when it came out in end of May this year, it became an Amazon bestseller um, within three days in multiple categories. And it's already sold a number of countries um, the, and um, you can, review their ratings um, and, re uh, and reviews on Amazon. To work with me, just reach out to me. And the, the people that I work with are basically leaders, high achievers, and entrepreneurs. And the key message is that we don't need to sacrifice fulfillment for achievements. You can have them both. Being achieving only yes. at a certain point, it catches up with you. And the emotional right says that we are, we are all wired to have a fulfilled life. We are designed for that. We don't need to sacrifice it. You can have the tension between fulfilled individual and a very highly successful individual. You can manage that tension as to really go further in your life. And then the last message, if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, that means that the way you're living right now has passed is expiration date. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Just the way you're in old habit and self-belief that is not serving you anymore. It's the time for mm. simple and purposeful redesign of your life to go further. Beautiful. Dr. Ardeshir Meran, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the Zenpreneur uh, podcast. 
I will be sure to add all of the links in the show notes. Uh, I highly recommend that you connect with him. Uh, what he talks about is profound. Um, I'm, I'm, I take a stand for that. And without beyond the shadow of a doubt, this kind of work can help you excel in all areas of life. And more, most importantly, it can give you access to that deep inner sense of peace that is yes. worth more than anything else in the world. And it, you get to have it on a consistent long-term basis. So I love your work. I'm a fan. I'm going to get your book for sure. I want to read it. And um, I'll let you have the last word of the show. Great. Thank you so much, Mario. And uh, first of all, thank you to you, to your listeners. And uh, the last word is that don't allow suffering to define you. And if you're a high achiever, probably guaranteed, you know, depression, you know, anxiety, obsessive compulsive. Don't let to define you and don't let those emotions linger. Don't let you can literally wake up one day and not be depressed, not be anxious, not have those heavy feelings. That's my wish for you. There's a better way, better life waiting for you. And pain will guide you there. Don't let that be the defining experience of your life. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for being a loyal listener on the show. And I will see you on the next episode. Great.